remember, the simple things are also the most extraordinary things, and only the wise can see them. Aloha, multidimensional friends, travelers along this epic personal journey that we are all on. This is Brendan, and you are tuned in for another live broadcasted recording podcast episode thing that we got going on here through ParadigmShiftCentral.com. And this is part three of our book reading and commentary of The Alchemist. Thank you again so much, everyone, for being a part of this. For those of you tuning in on YouTube, for those of you tuning in on Instagram, for those of you tuning in on Facebook as well. Please feel free to share this broadcast as we get rolling into it. Of course, if you happen to be stumbling upon this and you have yet to check out parts one and two of the book reading that we have done so far, then absolutely, please feel free to be able to go back and do that. And we'll give a quick synopsis in terms of what's been happening so far within The Alchemist. And this will be part three, as I said, of the ongoing reading of this book and we'll probably end up doing it in four parts and I'd like to be able to put a put a decent dent in this tonight that way so we got a got enough to be able to make it in four parts and of course The Alchemist is a very well-known book many of you have probably heard of it and of course it is written by Paulo Coelho and this is a book about young young Santiago and it is about his journey to be able to follow his dreams and connect with his personal legend to be able to make his way to the pyramids he has been having a recurring dream of a child who shows him the pyramids and after seeing a fortune teller he has been encouraged to go to the pyramids in Egypt to be able to find the treasure that is waiting for him there so along the way he has been traveling with his sheep and he has gone from a couple towns at this point he has met a king named uh, the king of solemn in one of the first towns who taught him a lot about being able to just pay attention to the language of the universe being able to follow the important be, the importance of being able to follow his dream understanding what his personal legend is and again the personal legend is is a very important theme within this as much as it is a theme within our own spiritual journeys and of course this is about being able to do that which your heart calls for that which makes your heart sing that little voice inside of you that says like yes like that thing that you want that's just beyond the horizon like go for it like that is why you're here that is your quest that is your personal legend so from there he has traveled to another town and while he was there he was actually and again this is just quick synopsis he was actually robbed and so he's gone through this whole journey where he lost his faith he lost his trust in the universe and he thought how could this ever happen to me and yet he remembered the wise words of the king the king of solemn who he met along the way who shared with him so much wisdom and from there he synchronistically was able to connect with the people who he needed to connect with and he ended up working for uh, a merchant who was selling he was selling glassware and eventually Santiago convinced him that hey if you sell some tea while also selling this glassware more people will be interested and suddenly the the sales for for the owner began to boom and Santiago flash forward a year had earned his money back almost doubled and he had the money now to either go home or to be able to continue towards the pyramids of Egypt. And now Santiago is at a point where he has chosen 
to follow through with his original ambition to make his way to the pyramids of Egypt. And where we left off, Santiago has recently just connected with a, another person, a new character, an Englishman who is a philosopher, and he's actually been reading about the alchemists and the legends of the alchemists and the philosopher's stone. So we'll actually just go back just a couple pages to be able to pick up where this scene begins with Santiago meeting this Englishman, and then we will continue from there. So, of course, this is part three. If you haven't checked out part one and two, please feel free to go back and tune into those. Again, you can find those at youtube.com forward slash SkullBabylon, ParadigmShiftCentral.com underneath the live broadcast recordings, and also ParadigmShift Radio on iTunes. Thank you again so much for everyone for tuning into this, for sharing this with your friends, for being a part of this community, this intention behind sharing this book, is not only to be able to enjoy it, to be able to talk about it, to be able to talk more in depth about the symbolism within it, but also to be able to allow it to inspire us on our own journeys of personal discovery and spiritual awakening. So if you're a fan of The Alchemist, please feel free to just leave your comments down below. I'd love to hear about how this book has made an impact within your life as well. And of course, we are broadcasting, like I said, we are broadcasting across a few networks. So if anybody leaves any live discussion chat i will be sure to read those and again if you are listening to this in the future you're still a part of the discussion so please feel free to leave your comments wherever you are whenever you are you get it and you get the chance thank you so much awesome <clears throat> so again really really just like <laughs> quick recap for myself i read this book a long time ago and so there are going to be parts in this considering that i haven't that it's been a while that are generally going to be a surprise for me so i get to like take this journey together along with us so there are going to be parts where i'm just like oh wow i like completely forgot that that was actually a thing so <laughs> i'm looking forward to being able to share this and pick up where we left off awesome all right thank you again everyone so much <clears throat> And with that said, please feel free to get comfortable, grab yourself some tea if you would like, wherever you're bringing us along with you on the adventure, and enjoy part three of The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. <clears throat> the boy went to his room and packed his belongings. They filled three sacks. As he was leaving, he saw in the corner of the room his old shepherd's pouch, it was bunched up and had hardly, th and he had hardly thought of it for a long time. As he took his jacket out of the pouch, thinking to give it to someone on the street, the two stones fell to the floor, Urim and Thummim. It made the boy think of the old king, and he startled, and it startled him to realize how long it had been since he had thought of him. For nearly a year, he has been working incessantly thinking only of putting aside enough money so that he could return to Spain with pride. Never stop dreaming, the old king had said. Oh, I have to do my old king, stop, my old king voice. <laughs> Never stop dreaming, the old king had said. Follow the omens. <laughs> the boy picked up Urim and Thummim and once again had the strange sensation that the old king was nearby. He had worked hard for a year and the omens were that it was time to go. I'm going to go back to doing just what I did before, the boy thought, even though the sheep didn't, didn't teach me to speak Arabic. 
But the sheep had taught him something even more important, that there was a language in the world that everyone understood, a language the boy had used throughout the time he was trying to improve things at the shop. It was the language of enthusiasm, of things accomplished with love and purpose, and as part of a search for something believed in and desired. Tangier was no longer a strange city, and he felt that, just as he had conquered this place, he could conquer the world. When you want something, <clears throat> when you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it, the old king had once said. But the old king hadn't said anything about being robbed, or about endless deserts, or about people who know what their dreams are but don't want to realize them. The old king hadn't told him about the pyramids, that the pyramids were just a pile of stones, or that anyone could build one in their backyard. And he had forgotten to mention, when you have enough money to buy a flock larger than the one you had before, you should buy it. The boy picked up his pouch, put it with the other things, and he went down the stairs and found the merchant waiting on a foreign couple. While the two other customers walked about the shop drinking tea from crystal glasses, it was far more activity than usual for this time of the morning. From where he stood, he saw for the first time that the old merchant's hair was very much like the hair of the old king. He remembered the smile of the candy seller on his first day in Tangier. When he had nothing to eat and nowhere to go, that smile had been like the old king's smile. It's almost as if he had been as if he had been here and left his mark, he thought, and yet none of these people has has ever met the old king. On the other hand, he said he always appeared to help those who are trying to realize their personal legend. And so I'm just going to flip fast a little bit here and pick up <clears throat> exactly where we left off because there's still like another page here but again this is Santiago he says goodbye to the to the old merchant man and now he is on his way <clears throat> I'm always nearby when someone wants to realize their personal legend the old king had told them what could it cost to go over to the supplier's warehouse and find if the pyramids were really that far away so he's made his decision the Englishman this is a new section the Englishman was sitting on a bench in a structure that smelled of animal sweat and dust. It was part of the warehouse, part coral. I never thought I'd end up in a place like this, he thought, as he leafed through the pages of a chemical journal. Ten years at the university, and here I am in the coral. But he had to move on. He believed in omens. All his life and all his studies were aimed at finding the one true language of the universe. First he had studied Esperanto, then the world's religions, and now it was alchemy. He knew how to speak Esperanto, and understood all the major religions well, but he wasn't yet an alchemist. He had unraveled the truths behind important questions, but his studies had taken him to a point beyond which he could not seem to go. He had tried, to van he had tried in vain to establish a relationship with an alchemist. But the alchemists were strange people who thought only about themselves and almost always refused to help him. Who knows, maybe they had failed to discover the secret of the master's work, the philosopher's stone, and for this reason kept their knowledge to themselves. He had already spent much of his fortune left to him by his father fruitlessly seeking the philosopher's stone. Again, this is about the Englishman. This is a new character who is about to meet Santiago. He had spent enormous amounts of times at great libraries of the world and had purchased all the rarest and most important volumes on alchemy. 
In one, he had read, many years ago, a famous Arabian alchemist had visited Europe. It was said that he was more than 200 years old, and he, he had discovered the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life. <clears throat> the Englishman had been profoundly impressed by the story, but he would never have thought that it was more than just a myth. Had not a friend of his, returning from the archaeological expedition in the desert, told him about an Arab that was that was that was possessed of exceptional powers he lives at the al faum oasis his friend had said and people say he is 200 years old and is able to transform any metal into gold the englishman could not contain his excitement he cancelled all his commitments and pulled together the most important of his books and now here he was sitting inside a dusty smelly warehouse Outside, a huge caravan was being prepared for a crossing of the Sahara and was scheduled to pass through El Fayum. I'm going to find that diamond alchemist, the Englishman thought, and the odor of the animals became a bit more tolerable. A young Arab, also loaded down with baggage, entered and greeted the Englishman. Where are you bound? asked the young Arab. I'm going to the desert, the man answered, turning back to his reading. He didn't want any conversation at this point. What he needed to do was review all that he had learned over the years, because the alchemist would most certainly put him to the test. The young Arab, that's Santiago, took out a book and began to read. The book was written in Spanish. That's good, thought the Englishman. He spoke Spanish better than Arabic. And if the boy was going to El Fayum, there would be someone to talk to there with there would be someone to talk to when there were no other important things to do. <clears throat> that's strange said the boy as he tried once again to read the burial scene that began the book i've been trying for two years to read this book and i never get past the first few pages even without a king to provide an interpretation he was unable to concentrate he he still had some doubts about the decision he had made but he was able to understand one thing Making a decision was only the beginning of things. When someone makes a decision, he is really diving into a strong current that will carry him to places he had never dreamed of when he had first made the decision. When I decided to seek out my treasure, I never imagined that I'd wind up working in a crystal shop, he, th he thought. And joining this caravan may have been my decision, but where it goes is going to be a mystery to me. Nearby was the Englishman reading a book. He seemed unfriendly and had looked irritated when the boy had entered. They might have been they might have become good friends, but the Englishman closed off the conversation. The boy closed his book. He felt he didn't want to do anything. <clears throat> he, he felt he didn't want to do anything that might make him look like the Englishman. He took Urim and Thummim from his pocket and began playing with them. The stranger shouted, "Urim and Thummim!" In a flash, the boy put them back in his pocket. They're not for sale. They're not worth much, the Englishman answered. They're only made of rock and crystal, and there are millions of rocks and crystals in this earth. But those who know about such things know <clears throat> would know that those are Urim and Thummim. I didn't know that they had them in this part of the world. I think I really got to commit to deciding on what my voice is going to be for the Englishman. <laughs> so... They were given to me by a present by the king, the boy said. The stranger didn't answer. Instead, he put his hand in his pocket and took out two stones that were the same as the boy's. <clears throat> did you say the did you say a king? I guess you don't I guess you don't believe that a king would talk to someone like me 
Wait, see, now I get mixed up between who's, who's lying to me. I guess he didn't think that a king would talk to someone like me, a shepherd, he said, wanting to end the conversation. Not at all. It was shepherds who were the first to recognize a king, and the rest of the world refused to acknowledge. So it's surprising that kings would talk to shepherds. And he went on, fearing that the boy wouldn't understand what he was talking about. It's in the Bible, the same book that taught me Urim and Thummim. These stones are only form of divination permitted by God. The priest carried them in the golden breastplate. The boy was suddenly happy to hear that to be here at the warehouse. Maybe this is an omen. <clears throat> Maybe this is an omen, said the Englishman, half aloud. Who told you about omens? The boy's interest was increasing by the moment. Why, everything in life is an omen said the Englishman, now closing the journal he was reading. There is a universal language, understood by everybody, but already forgotten. I am in search of this universal language, among other things. That's why I'm here. That's... I have found... I'm here. I have to find a man who knows that the universal... who knows that universal language. I have to find an alchemist. The conversation was interrupted by the warehouse boss, you're in luck, you two, the fat Arab said. There's a caravan leaving today for Al-Fayoum. But I'm going to Egypt, the boy said. Al-Fayoum is in Egypt, said the Arab. What kind of Arab are you? <clears throat> That's a good luck omen, the Englishman said after the Arab had gone out. If I could, I'd write a huge encyclopedia just about the words luck and coincidence. It's with these words that the universal language is written. He told the boy it was no coincidence that he had met him with Urim and Thummim in his hand, and he asked the boy if he, too, were in search of the alchemist. I'm looking for treasure, said the boy, as he immediately regretted having said it, but the Englishman appeared not to attach any importance to it. In a way, so am I, he said. I, I don't even know what alchemy is, the boy was saying when the warehouse boss called them to come outside. So this this is actually, like, exactly where we left off. So, but now we got to, like, catch up with it. So I'm good. And I got to practice my English accent. So so things are just getting set up. But again, you know, for those of you who, who are even just a little bit familiar with alchemists, like, you know that, like, the, the whole idea of the alchemist is being able to practice transmutation, transmutation of metals from, from base metals into gold, from, from bronze to, or from copper to gold, or any sort of base, like, lesser metal into a higher value metal. But again, in a lot of ways, as is interpreted through the Gnostic teachings, the idea behind alchemy is more symbolic than anything. And the alchemical process that they actually teach of is actually referring to the process of transforming one's soul, of refining one's spirit. <clears throat> so we'll keep reading here. And again, thank you so much for everyone tuning into this. Uh, for those of you tuning into this in the future, uh, it, it's a quiet night tonight. So if anybody does have any comments in the live chats, please feel free to leave those as we go. And I definitely will read those on screen. Uh, but at this point, like it's, like I said, it's a quiet night tonight, but we're doing the recordings for a reason because people listen to this afterwards. <clears throat> so thanks for listening to it, uh, in a time frame that works for you. <clears throat> I'm the leader of the caravan, said a dark eyed bearded man. I hold the power of life and death for every person I take with me. The desert is a capricious lady, and sometimes she drives men crazy. 
There were almost 200 people gathered there and 400 animals, camels, horses, mules, and fowl. In the crowd were women, children, and a number of men with swords at their belts and rifles slung over their shoulders. The Englishman had several suitcases filled with books. There was a babble of noise, and the leader had yet to repeat himself several times for everyone to understand what he was saying. There are a lot of different people here. <clears throat> who's saying that? I don't know who's saying this. <laughs> I don't know what accent to use. I'll just read it normally. There are a lot of different people here, and each has his own god. But the only god I serve is Allah. Okay, this is like the caravan guy. But the only god I serve is Allah. And his name I swear that I will do everything possible once again to win out over the desert. But I want each and every one of you to swear by the God you believe in that you will follow my orders no matter what. In the desert, disobedience means death. There was a murmur from the crowd. Each was swearing quietly to his or her own God. The boy swore to Jesus Christ. The Englishman said nothing. The murmur lasted longer than a simple vow would have. The people were also praying to have protection. A long note was sounded on a bugle and everyone mounted up. The boy and the Englishman had brought camels and climbed uncertainty uncertainly onto their onto, onto their backs. The boy felt sorry for the Englishman for the Englishman's camel, loaded down as he was with the case of books. There's no such thing as coincidence, said the Englishman, picking up the conversation where it had been interrupted in the warehouse. I'm here because a friend of mine heard of an Arab who, but the caravan began to move. It was impossible to hear what the Englishman was saying. The boy knew that he was a, what he was about to describe, through though the mysterious chain that links one another, the same chain that had caused him to become a shepherd, that had caused his recurring dream, that had brought him to a city near Africa to find a king and to be robbed in order to meet a crystal merchant and... The closer one gets to realizing his personal legend, the more that personal legend becomes his true reason for being, thought the boy. So that's that's some very powerful stuff. Again, just really hitting home the, the, the realness of synchronicity and, and the role it plays in our everyday lives. The idea of thinking, I love this idea of kind of like reverse time theory. So it's like Santiago is going to make it to where he needs to go. And then the universe kind of conspires backwards and everything kind of like appears to, to come together but that's only because everything at the end of its story has always been whole and then we kind of like take it apart and then when we experience forward it appears like things are crossing for the first time but in actuality things are actually returning together and that is like my understanding of what synchronicity is so the past we cross with people that is a very very powerful part of reminding ourselves that there are those within our life who we are bound to and we meet people for reasons the caravan moved towards the east. It traveled during the morning, halted when the sun was at its strongest, and resumed late in the afternoon. The boy spoke very little with the Englishman, who spent most of his time with his books. The boy observed in silence the progress of the animals and people across the desert. Now everything was quiet and different from how it was the day he had set out. Then there had been confusing and shouting, the cries of children, and the whining of animals, all mixed with the nervous orders of the guides and the merchants. But in the desert, there was only the sound of the eternal wind and the hoofbeats of the animals. 
Even the guides spoke very little to one another. I've crossed the sands many times, said one. Oh, this is just a random person. I've crossed the I've crossed the sands many times, said one of the camel drivers one night. But the desert is so huge and the horizon so distant that they make a person feel small. And if he should remain as he should remain silent, the boy understood intuitively what he meant, even without ever having to set foot in the desert before. Whenever he saw the sea or fire or a fire, he fell silent, impressed by the elemental force. I've learned things from the sheep. I've learned things from Crystal, he thought. I can learn something from the desert, too. It seems old and wise. You ever thought that? You ever just, like, walked into the desert and you're just like, hmm, what does this desert have to teach me? Or just, like, some sort of natural part of the of, of the world, some sort of just, like, forest. You ever walk into it and it's like, oh, this forest is, like, full of knowledge and wonder. <laughs> so... The wind never stopped, and the boy remembered the day he had set at the f he had he had sat at the fort at Tarifa, with the same winds blowing in his face. It reminded him of the wool from his sheep, his sheep who were now seeking food and water in the feed in the fields of Andalusia, as they always had. They're not my sheep anymore, he said to himself without nostalgia. They must have you they must be used to their new shepherd and have probably already forgotten me. That's good. Creatures like the sheep that are used to traveling know about moving on. He thought of the merchant's daughter and was sure that he had prob and was sure that she had probably married, perhaps to a baker or to another shepherd who could read and could tell his her exciting stories. After all, he probably wasn't the only one. But he was excited as his, at his intuitive understanding of the camel's driver's comments. <clears throat> Maybe he was also learning the universal language that deals with the past and present of all people. Hunches, his mother used to call them. The boy was beginning to understand that intuition is really a sudden immersion of the soul into the universal current of life, where the histories of all people are connected, and we are all able to know everything because it's all written there. Wow, that's a, that's a powerful sentence. I'm just going to reread that for, for this part here. The boy was beginning to understand that intuition is really a sudden immersion of the soul into the universal current of life where the histories of all people are connected and we are all able to know everything because it is all written there. So again, that's like literally saying that like that our intuition is is our soul kind of like coming to the surface and our soul is this thing that does not speak English. It does not speak Arabic. It speaks like an eternal language. And through that, it is a shared language between people. And that is why like intuition is something that anybody can experience. It is a part of the human experience. It is a part of the human being. It is a part of our chakras. Even if you talk about this. And again, I've talked about this. But very simply put, thinking of intuition as like information from the future being coming into your chakra, arriving into your chakra, your heart chakra and your solar chakra particularly, and your and your sacral, but your solar chakra, like your gut feeling, you know, hunches. So it's information coming into you from the future. How is your relationship with your intuition? Are you getting better at understanding it? Are you get a, getting better at understanding the unwritten and yet always written language of the universe? Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Monta Sir Kibak, uh, Kibria, who is commenting in the YouTube chat. 
Uh, we meet people for reasons. Does it mean something? Someone written our story and we are acting. So that is an interesting thing. So again, it's like for meeting people for reasons, who's conducting this? And again, I, I, I that's where I get into the idea of like non backwards time theory is basically the way I see it. But absolutely from a higher perspective, the soul is playing out these stories that are meant to serve its growth. And that is the important thing that I'll just say here real quick and then we'll get right back into it, that this universe, and this is something that I've learned through experience and I pass on to you as wisdom, the universe is not just here to make us happy, it is here to evolve our consciousness. And the stories that it has within our lives are the stories that will help do that the best ways possible. So very, very cool, very, very powerful. <clears throat> Maktoub, the boy said, remembering the crystal merchant, Maktoub means, and so it is written. The desert was all sand in some stretches, and rocky in others. When the caravan was blocked by a boulder, it had to go around it. If there was a large rocky area, they had to make a major detour. If the sand was too fine for the animal's hooves, they sawed away where the sand was more substantial. In some places, the ground was covered with salt of dried-up dried lakes. The animals balked at such places, and the animal drivers were forced to dismount and unburden their char their charges. The drivers carried the freight themselves over such a tremendous fo treacherous footing, and then reloaded the camels. If a guide were to fall ill or die, the camel drivers would draw lots of a point of would draw would draw lots and appoint a new one. Would draw lots like draw straws and appoint a new one. But all this happened for one, re for one basic reason. No matter how many detours and adjustments it made, the caravan moved towards the same compass point. Once obstacles were overcome, it returned to its course, sighting on a star that indicated the location of the oasis. When the people saw that the star was, was shining in the morning sky, they knew they were on the right course towards water, palm trees, shelter, and other people. It was only the English Englishman who was unaware of all of this. He was, for the most part, immersed in reading his books. The boy, too, had his books, and he had tried to read it during the first few days of the journey, but he found it much more interesting to observe the caravan and listen to the wind. Imagine you're in the desert. Wind sound effects. And... Um... Lost my place for a second. As soon as he had learned to know his camel better and to establish a relationship with him, he threw the book away. Although the boy had developed a superstition that each time he opened the book, he would learn something important. He decided it was an unnecessary burden. He became friendly with the camel driver who traveled alongside him. At night, as they sat around the fire, the boy related to the driver his adventures as a shepherd. Here's a picture. I'll show that to those of you watching on YouTube. You can see this is again pictured by Mobius, and that's just like a picture of them like sitting around the fireplace. So it just adds a little visuals, and there's like the night sky and the, and the desert. Very cool. <clears throat> During one of these conversations, the driver told of his own life. I used to live near El Karum, he said. I had my orchard, my children, and a life that would change not all not at all until I died. One year, when the crop was the best ever, we all went to Mecca, and I satisfied my only unmet obligation in my life. I could die happy, and that made me feel good. 
One day the earth began to tremble and the Nile overflowed its banks. It was something that I thought could happen only to others, never to me. My neighbors feared they would lose all their olive trees in the flood, and my wife was afraid that we would lose our children. I thought that everything I owned would be destroyed. The land was ruined, and I had to find some other way to earn a living. So now I'm a camel driver, but that disaster taught me to understand the word Allah. People need not fear the unknown if they are capable of achieving what they need and want. We are afraid of losing what we have, whether it's our life or our possessions and property. But this fear evaporates when we understand that our life stories and the histories of the world were written by the same hand. Ooh, that's interesting. But this fear evaporates when we understand that our life stories and the history of the world were written by the same hand. So again, it's like, are you just going to let life tell you what things are going to be? Or are you going to make your own story? So again, we got to meet the universe halfway. That's a big thing that I always talk about. Sometimes the caravan met with one another. One always had something that the other needed, as if everything were indeed written by one hand. As they sat around the fire, the camel drivers exchanged information about windstorms and told stories about the deserts. At other times, mysterious hooded men would appear. They were Bedouins who did surveillance along the caravan route. They provided warnings about thieves and barbarian tribes. They came in silence and departed the same way, dressed in black garments that showed only their eyes. One night, a camel driver came to the fire where the Englishman and the boy were sitting. There are rumors of tribal wars, he told them. The three fell silent. The boy noted that there was a sense of fear in the air, even though no one said anything. Once again, he was experiencing the language without words, the universal language. So again, even just there, like very literally, like language without words, feelings, right? So, I mean, if someone is like scared of something, you don't have to speak the same language in order to be able to understand that. If someone is expressing joy and happiness, you can join in on that. That's why we talk about like dance being such a universal language in itself, art being such a universal language. <clears throat> the Englishman asked, if they were in danger. Once you get out into the desert, there's no going back, said the camel driver, and when you can't go back, you have to worry only about the best way of moving forward. The rest is up to Allah, including the danger. And he concluded by saying the mysterious words, Maktub. You should, you should pay more attention to the caravan. Er, whoops. <laughs> you should pay more attention to the caravan, the boy said, obviously, to the Englishman after the camel driver had left, we make a lot of detours, but we're always heading for the same destination. That's, yeah, right? Like, we always make a lot of detours, but we're always heading to the same destination. So it's like, as a soul, right? Like, what is our destination? Remembrance, self-actualization. So what may even seem like detours in the moment is still actually a part of the path towards our bigger destination. So remember that, remember that when universe might kind of like take you on what may feel like a detour it's still a path it's still a path towards your bigger destination <clears throat> and you ought to read more about the world and <clears throat> oops english man and you ought to read more about the world i like how his accent's just all over the place the said answered the english man books are like a caravan in that respect the immense collection of people and animals began to travel faster the days had always been silent, but now, even the nights, when the travels were accustomed to talking about around the fires, 
had had also become quiet and one day the leader of the caravan made the decision that the fires should no longer be lit so that so as to not attract attention to the caravan the travelers adopted the practice of arranging the animals in a circle at night sleeping together in the center as protection against nocturnal cold and the leader posted <clears throat> armed sentinels at the fringes of the group the englishman was unable to sleep one night he called to the boy and they took a walk along the dunes surrounding the encampment there was a full moon and the boy told the englishman the story of his life the englishman was fascinated with the part about the progress achieved at the crystal shop after the boy beganing began working there that's the principle that governs all things he said it's alchemy <clears throat> that's the print jeez uh, <laughs> I'm trying. That's the. Uh, oh man, I've like forgot how to do the accent already. Okay. <clears throat> That's the principle that governs all things, he said. In alchemy, it's called the soul of the world. The soul of the world. When you want something within your heart, with all your heart, and that's when you are closest to the soul of the world. It's always a positive force. He also said that this was not just a human gift, that everything on the face of the earth had a soul, whether minerals, vegetables, or animals, or even just a simple thought. Everything on earth is being focused continuously, is everything on earth is being continuously transformed because the earth is alive. It has a soul, and we are part of that soul, so we rarely recognize that it is working for us. But the crystal shop, you probably realize that even the even the glasses were collaborating in your success. That's interesting because, like, that's like literally basically saying that minerals and items and and material possessions that come across our path are actually like still conspiring as a part of our journey. You know, so it's like if you ever happen to like find an item that that serves you, or or you come across a piece of nature. Or like a flower like flies into your face or something like that. Or again, even like a butterfly flies across or animals and birds. All of these things are all reflections of the soul speaking into itself. So again, the soul of the world. That's a very powerful thing. So when you want something with all of your heart, that's when you're closest to the soul of the world. It's always a positive force. So what do you want with all your heart? Can you feel that? Can you feel the soul talking? in like inside of you and speaking up awesome naki thanks for joining and anybody else please feel free to just drop your comments again i know it's a small live crowd tonight but that's okay i'm bringing as much energy to this as if there's like a thousand people listening that's all cool it's all because a thousand people are going to listen in the future all right <clears throat> everything on earth is oh i already read that part mm -mm -mm. wait yeah okay the boy thought about that for a while as he looked at the moon and bleach and the bleached sands. I have watched the caravans as it crossed the desert, he said. The caravan and the desert speak the same language, and it's for that reason that the desert allows the crossing. It's going to test the caravans every step to see if it's in time, and if it is, we will make it to the oasis. <clears throat> it's either of us... If either of us had joined this caravan based only on one personal courage, but without understanding that language, this journey would have been much more difficult. They stood there looking at the moon. That's the magic of omens, said the boy. I've seen how the guides read the signs of the desert and how the soul of the caravan speaks to the soul of the desert. 
the Englishman said, I'd better pay more attention to the caravan. I'd better start reading more books. I'd better read, I'd better, and I'd better read your books, said the boy, Santiago. <clears throat> Next part. They were strange books. They spoke about mercury, salt, dragons, and kings. Ooh, sounds like my kind of books. And he didn't understand any of it. But there was one idea that seemed to repeat itself throughout all of the books. All things are the manifestation of one thing only. That's, okay, just like rereading that. Just really just let's just reread that for a second. All things are the manifestation of one thing only. In one of the books, he learned that the most important text in the literature of alchemy contained only a few lines and had been inscribed on the surface of an emerald. It's the emerald tablets, said the Englishman, proud that he might teach something to the boy. So that's pretty cool. Like the, the emerald tablets are like literally in this book. And for those of you who are familiar, that's like ancient, ancient texts that talk about the hermetic principles, the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus. And all about like the divine laws of the universe, the the different uh, principles within the Hermetic philosophy. And so again, that that idea, all things are a manifestation of one thing only. What is the one thing that all things are a manifestation of? If you think you know, leave a comment. <laughs> Give you a clue. You're it too, obviously. Well then, why do we need all these books? The boy asked. So that we can understand those few lines, the Englishman answered without appearing really to believe what he had said. The book had mo that most interested the boy told the stories of the famous alchemists. Here we go. They were men who had dedicated their entire lives to the purification of metals in their laboratories. They believed that if a metal were heated for many years, it would free itself of all its individual properties, and what was left would be the soul of the world. This soul of the world allowed them to understand anything on the face of the earth because it was the language with which all things communicated. They called that discovery the master work. It was part liquid and part solid. Can't you just observe men and omens in order to understand the language? The boy asked. You have a mania for simplifying things, answered the Englishman, irritated. Alchemy is a serious discipline. Every step has to be followed exactly as if it was followed by the masters. The boy learned that the liquid part of the master's work was called the elixir of life and that it cured all his illness. It also kept the alchemist from growing old and the solid part was called the philosopher's stone. So even just there, like the elixir of life, like depending on who you ask, like that could even be referring to the transmutation of like the the base sexual fluids within our body and transforming those into like the elixir which fuels the vitality of our entire vital system our vital organs our chakras and then helps us like actualize into a divine cosmic citizen and we become the philosopher's stone <laughs> through the self-actualization of understanding like what it means to be awake in consciousness at least that's that's one way of interpreting it <laughs> it's not that easy <clears throat> It's not that easy to find the philosopher's stone, said the Englishman. The alchemists spent years in the laboratory observing the fire that purified the metals. They spent so much time close to the fire that they gradually gave up the vanities of the world. They discovered that the purification of the metals had led to a purification of themselves. So again, they discovered that the purification of the metals had led to a purification 
of themselves. By studying the outer world, you study the inner world. By studying the inner world, you study the outer world. The boy thought about the crystal merchant. He had said that it was a good thing for the boy to clean the crystal pieces so that he could free himself from negative thoughts. The boy was becoming more and more convinced that alchemy could be learned in one's daily life. Also, said the Englishman, the philosopher's stone was, has a fascinating property. A small sliver of the stone can transform large quantities of metal into gold. So again, like even there, if we're looking at that as analogies, metaphors, a small sliver of the stone can transform large quantities of metals into gold. You could see that as an allegory of a single person, a small sliver, uh, who is self-actualized, who is like, again, kind of like awakened to their identity as as divine spiritual consciousness in human form, can transform large quantities of metal into gold, can basically help inspire large groups of other people into their own purification process, into their own self-empowerment, metal to gold. So metal would be like the unawakened individual. Gold would be those of us who are continuing to step into our awakening. Having heard that, the boy became even more interested in alchemy. He thought that with some patience, he'd be able to transform everything into gold. He read the lives of the various people who had succeeded in doing so. Helvidius, Elias, Faluncili, and Geber. They were fascinating stories. Each of them lived out their personal legend to the end. They traveled, spoke with wise men, performed miracles for the incredulous, and owned the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir of Life. But when the boy wanted to learn how to achieve the master work, he became completely lost. There were just drawings, coded instructions, and obscure text. <clears throat> so again, just like really being able to see this, like what does it mean when like we step into our own potential and identity as alchemists, social alchemists, shifters, light guardians, those of us who are helping change the world through our actions, through our intentions, through our words, through our art. It's what we do. <clears throat> Why do they make things so complicated? He asked the Englishman one night. The boy had noticed that the Englishman was irritable and missed his books. So that we, so that those who have the responsibility for understanding can understand. He said, imagine if everyone went around transforming lead into gold. Gold would lose its value. It's only those who are persistent and willing to study things deeply who achieve the masterwork. That's why I'm here in the middle of the desert. I'm seeking a true alchemist who will help me decipher the codes. When were these books written? The boy asked. Many centuries ago. They didn't have printing press in those days, the boy argued. There was no way for everybody to know about alchemy. Why did they use such strange language with many drawings? The Englishman didn't answer him directly. He said that for the past few days he had been paying attention to how the caravan operated, and he had and and but he hadn't learned anything new. The only thing that he had noticed was the talk of war was becoming more and more frequent. So again, just a part of reflecting on like what the alchemists were actually doing in the text that they wrote. They were keeping things intentionally symbolic, intentionally esoteric. So on the surface level the exoteric could be read but it would not fully be understood you had to see things from the esoteric level that which was hidden below the surface 
Then one day the boy returned the books to the Englishman. Did you learn anything? The Englishman asked, eager to hear what it might be. He needed someone to talk to as to avoid thinking about the possibility of war. I learned that the world has a soul, and that whoever understands that soul can also understand the language of things. I learned that many alchemists realized their personal legends and wound up discovering the soul of the world, the philosopher's stone, and the elixir of life. But above all, I learned that these things are also so simple that they could be written on the surface of an emerald. The Englishman was disappointed. The years of research, the magic of research, the magic symbols, the strange words, and the laboratory equipment, none of this had an impression on the boy. His soul must be too primitive to understand those things, he thought. So again, you can kind of see, like, the Englishman, he's kind of trying to figure out, like, what the alchemists were looking for, but he's looking in the material, whereas Santiago is beginning to kind of look more at the immaterial, the spiritual. <clears throat> or that which cannot be seen with eyes alone. He took back his books and packed them away again in their bags. Go back to watching the caravan, he said. That didn't teach me anything either. The boy went back to contemplating the silence of the desert and the sand raised by the animals. Everyone has his or her own learning things, he said to himself. His way isn't the same as mine, nor mine as his, but we're both in search of our personal legends, and I respect him for that. New part. The caravan began to travel day and night. The hooded Bedouins reappeared more and more frequently, and the camel driver, who had become a good friend of the boys, ex of the boys explained that the war between the tribes had already begun. The caravan would be very lucky to reach the oasis. The animals were exhausted, and the men talked amongst themselves less and less. The silence was the worst aspect of the night. When the men when the mere groan of a camel, which before had been nothing but groan of a camel, now frightened everyone because it might signal a raid. <clears throat> the camel driver, though, seemed not to be very concerned with the threat of war. I'm alive, <clears throat> this camel driver. I'm alive, he said to the boy as they ate a bunch of dates one night with no fires and no moon. When I'm eating, that's all I think about. If I'm on the march, I just concentrate on marching. If I have to fight, I'll just be. It will just be as good a day to die as any other. Because I didn't live in either my past or my future, I'm interested in only the present. If you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be a happy man. You'll see that there is life in the desert, but there are stars in the heaven, and that tribesmen fight. They are a part of the human race. Life will be a party for you, a grand festival. Because life is the moment we are living right now. Two nights later, as he was getting ready to bed down, the boy looked for the star they followed every night. He thought that the horizon was a bit lower than it had been, because he seemed to see stars on the desert itself. It's the oasis, said the camel driver. Well, why don't we go there right now, the boy asked. Because we have to sleep. New part. The boy awoke as the sun rose. There in front of him were the small stars that had been the night that had been the night before was there in front of him where the small stars had been the night before was an endless row of date palms stretching across the entire desert. We've done it, said the Englishman, who had also awakened early, but the boy was quiet. He was at home with the silence of the desert. 
He was content just to look at the trees. He still had a long way to go to reach the pyramids, and someday this and someday this morning would just be a memory. But this was the present moment, the party the camel driver had mentioned, and he wanted to live it as he did the lessons of his past and his dreams of the future. Although the vision of the date palms would someday just be a memory, right now it signified shade, water, and a refuge from war. Yesterday, the camel's groan signaled danger, and now a row of date palms could be herald a miracle. The world speaks many languages, the boy thought. So again, that's that's I really like that part where, again, it's just really reassuring and, and just reiterating the, the importance of being present with whatever experience that, that you may be going through. And Santiago just, just speaking through that in his own truth, you know, like he's just like, yeah, you know, like the future is ahead of me, the past is behind me, and I appreciate them equally as much as I appreciate the present while still being in this present moment. So all moments have value. The times rush past, and so do the caravans, thought the alchemist as he watched. Ooh, okay, so we're at the alchemist now. As he watched the hundreds of people and animals arriving at the oasis, people were shouting at the new arrivals. Dust obscured the desert sun, and the children of the oasis were bursting with excitement at the arrival of strangers. The alchemist saw the tribal chiefs greet the leader of the caravan and converse him and converse with him at length. But none of that mattered to the alchemist. He had already seen people come and go, and the desert remained as it was. He had seen kings and beggars walking the desert sands. The dunes were changed constantly by the wind, yet these were the same sands he had known since he was a child. He always enjoyed seeing the happiness that the travelers experienced when, after weeks of yellow sand and blue skies, they first saw the green of the date palms. Maybe God created the desert so that man could appreciate the date trees, he thought. He decided to concentrate on more practical matters. He knew that in the caravan there was a man to whom he was to teach some of his secrets. The omens had told him so. He didn't know that man yet, but his practiced eyes would recognize him when he appeared. He hoped that it would be someone as capable as, as his previous apprentice. So that's like super interesting right there, right? So the alchemist introducing this character for the first time, he's already dialed into the idea that he's going to meet Santiago and the Englishman and, and his own omens ha have led him into this awareness. So imagine having that foresight of your everyday where you're just like, ooh, like I, I'm going to some sort of event, some sort of special consciousness shifting event, maybe a festival or something. And you're just like, there's going to be someone here that I'm going to have to that I'm meant to have some sort of like really meaningful connection with and intuitively like I'll be able to like know it when it happens and you can actually like see it coming your way before it even arrives super super interesting that's real stuff man it's like knowing the synchronicities are coming and and then being able to acknowledge them when they arrive I don't know why these things have to be transmitted by word of mouth he thought it wasn't exactly that they were secrets. God revealed his secrets, his secrets easily to all his creatures. He had only one explanation for this fact. Things have to be transmitted this way because they were made up from the pure life. And this kind of life cannot be captured in pictures or words. Because people become fascinated with pictures and words and wind up forgetting the language of the world. Next part. 
The boy couldn't believe what he was seeing. The oasis, rather than just being a well surrounded by a few palm trees, as he had seen in one of his geography books, was much larger than many towns back in Spain. There were 300 wells, 50,000 day trees, and an innumerable colored tents spread among them. It looks like a thousand and one nights, or <clears throat> Englishman. It looks like a thousand and one nights, said the Englishman, impatient to meet the alchemist. That's a, another book. <clears throat> they were surrounded by children, curious to look at the animals and people they were arriving that were arriving. The men of the oasis wanted to know that if they had seen anything, any fright, any fighting, and the women competed with one another for access to the cloth and precious stones brought by the merchants. The silence of the desert was a distant dream, and the travelers in the caravan were talking incessantly, laughing and shouting as they had emerged from the spiritual world and, for, to and found themselves once again in the world of people. They were relieved and happy. They had been taking careful precautions in the desert, but the camel driver explained to the boy that the oasis were always considered to be in neutral territories because the majority of the inhabitants were, men and, were women and children. There were oases throughout the desert, but the tribesmen fought in the desert, leaving the oasis as a place of refuge. With some difficulty, the leader of the caravan brought all his people together and gave them his instructions. The group was to remain there at the oasis until the conflict between the two tribes was over. Since they were visitors, they would have to share living space with those who lived there and would be given the best accommodations. That was the law of hospitality. And when that and when then he asked that everyone, including his own sentinels, hand over their arms to the men appointed by the tribal chieftains. <clears throat> Those are the rules of war, the leader explained. The oasis may not shelter armies or troops. To the boy's surprise, the Englishman took a chrome-plated revolver out of his bag and gave it to the men who were collecting the arms. Why a revolver? he asked. It helped me to trust in people, the Englishman answered. Meanwhile, the boy thought about his treasure. The closer he got to the realization of his dream, the more difficult things became. It seemed as if what the old king had called beginner's luck was, long, was no longer functioning. In his, pure, in his pursuit of, his, of the dream, he was being constantly subjected to tests of his persistence and courage. He could not be hasty nor impatient. If he pushed forward impulsively, he would fail to see the signs and omens left by God along his path. So that's, that's a key reminder right there. Just reminding us that like as much as we're excited or just like, you know, engaged with our journey and what we're on to remind ourselves to bring ourselves back to patience because it's when we're in that place of patience that we'll be able to more readily identify the omens and the synchronicities that come our way. So. <clears throat> Give me one second here, folks, as I just take an extra moment to restart the live broadcast on Instagram. And we are back live on Instagram for part two of part three of The Alchemist that we're reading right now. And thank you again so much, everyone, for joining us. And if you're watching this on Instagram or anywhere, youtube.com forward slash skullbabylon, paradigmshiftcentral.com forward slash live, and Paradigm Shift Radio on iTunes. Let's continue. <clears throat> God placed them along my path. He had surprised himself with the thought. Until then, he had considered the omens to, to be things of this world, like eating or sleeping, or like seeking love or finding a job. 
he had never thought of them in terms of a language used by God to indicate what he should do. So again, just like really stepping back on that idea, like imagine for a second that God, let's say God is like, the, again, like the, the consciousness that is kind of controlling the way things move on the game board. And, and then there's like a part of you that is this God that wants you to be able to get to certain parts within your path. So without directly always moving you, it will move things into your path or out of your path to be able to help assist you in that process of getting to where you need to be, arriving where you're meant to be, to be able to receive insight, lessons, connections, deepen into the gifts that are always present. So, <clears throat> don't be impatient, he repeated to himself. It's like the camel driver said, eat when it's time to eat and move along when it's time to move along. That first day, everyone slept from exhaustion, including the Englishman. The boy was assigned a place far from his friend in a tent with five other young men about his age. They were people of the desert and clamored to hear his stories about the great cities. The boy told them about his life as a shepherd and was about to tell them of his experience at the crystal shop when the Englishman came into the tent. I've been looking for you all morning, he said, as he led the boy outside. I need you to help me find out where the alchemist lives. First, they tried to find him on their own. An alchemist would probably live in a manner that was different from the rest of the people at the oasis, and it was likely that in his tent, an oven was continuously burning. They searched everywhere and found that the oasis was much larger than they could have imagined. There were hundreds of tents. We've wasted almost the entire day, said the Englishman, sitting down with the boy near one of the wells. Maybe we better ask someone. The maybe we better ask someone. The boy suggested. The Englishman didn't want to tell others about his reasons for being at the oasis, and couldn't make up his mind. But finally, he agreed that the boy, who spoke better Arabic than he, should do so. The boy approached a woman who had come to the well in, to fill a goat skin with water. Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm trying to find out where the alchemist lives here in the oasis. The woman said that she had never heard of such a person and hurried away. But before she fled, she advised the boy that he had better not try to converse with women who were dressed in black because they were married women. He should respect tradition. The Englishman was disappointed. It seemed he had made the long journey for nothing. The boy was also saddened. His friend was in pursuit of his personal legend. And when someone was in such pursuit, the entire universe made an effort to help him succeed. That's what the old king had said. He couldn't have been wrong. I have never heard of alchemists before, the boy said. Maybe no one here has either. The Englishman's lies lit, it, lit up. That's it. No one here knows what an alchemist is. Find out who it is who cures the people's illness. The women, Several women dressed in black came to the well for water, but the boy would speak to none of them despite the Englishman's insistence. Then a man approached. Do you know someone here who cures people's illness? The boy asked. Allah cures our illness, said the man, clearly frightened by the stranger. You're looking for the witch doctor. He spoke some verses from the Quran and moved on. Another man appeared. He was older and was carrying a small bucket. The boy repeated the question. Why do you want to find that sort of person? The Arab said. Because my friend here has traveled for many months in order to meet him, the boy said. If such a man is here in the oasis, he must be a very powerful one, said the old man, thinking for a few moments. 
Not even the tribal chieftains are able to see him when they want to, only when he consents. Wait for the end of the war, then leave the caravan. Don't wait to enter into the life of the oasis, he said as he walked away. But the Englishman was exalted. They were on the right track. Finally, a young woman approached who was not dressed in black. She had several. She had a vessel on her shoulder, and her head was covered by a veil, but her face was uncovered. The boy approached her to ask about the alchemist. At that moment, it seemed to him that time stood still, and the soul of the world surged within him. When he looked into her dark eyes and saw that her lips were poised between a laugh and silence, he learned the most important part of the language that all the world spoke, the language that everyone on earth was capable of understanding in their heart. It was love. Something older than humanity, more ancient than the desert, something that exerted the same force whenever two pairs of eyes meet and had, and had theirs here at, at, the, at the well. So I love that part again, like something older than humanity, more ancient than the desert, like love, something older than humanity and more ancient than the desert. Like that's a good tagline, right? <laughs> it's true though. It's definitely older than any planet known in existence. Love, the original ingredient. <laughs> she smiled and that was certainly an omen. The omen he had been, been awaiting without even knowing he was for all his life. The omen he had sought to find with his sheep and in his books, in the crystals and in the silence of the desert. It was the pure language of the world. It required no explanation, just as the universe need, needs none as it travels through endless time. <clears throat> what the boy felt at that moment was that he was in the presence of the only woman in his life, and that, with no need for words, he recognized the same thing. He was more certain of it than of anything in the world. He had been told by his parents and grandparents that he must fall in love and really know a person before becoming committed. But maybe people who felt that way had never learned the universal language. Because when you know that language, it's easy to understand that someone in the world awaits you, whether it's in the middle of the desert or in some great city. Aw, I like that idea. Because when you know the language, when you know the language, it's easy to understand that someone in the world awaits you, whether it's in the middle of the desert or in some great city. So for all the people out there that have experienced that 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 really deep type of love, then kudos to you. And for all of those that are still looking for it, kudos to you. Your your person is out there, and and maybe they're around the corner, or maybe they're in a desert. <laughs> but keep listening to the language of the universe; it's guiding you to them. And be patient. And keep working on yourself. Keep practicing your own alchemical process. And that will attract it to you. Pro side tip for attracting love within your life. Work on yourself. Raise your vibration to the frequency where it will naturally attract to you. It's less about actually going out and looking for it. And more about shifting your vibration so that it aligns with you. It's like a magnet, magnet, magnetism. <clears throat> there is only that moment. Wait. <clears throat> da, da, da. And when two such people encounter each other, each other and their eyes meet, the past and future become unimportant. There is only that moment and the incredible certainty that everything under the sun has been written by one hand only. It is the hand that evokes love and creates a twin soul for every person in the world. Without such love, one's dreams would have no meaning. Mac 2 thought the boy.
The Englishman shook the boy. Come on, ask her. The boy stepped closer to the girl, and when she smiled, he did the same. What's your name? Fatima, the girl said, averting her eyes. That's what some women, that's what some women in the country are called. It's the, <clears throat> that's, I don't know who's saying that. <laughs> Anyways, it's the same name as the prophet's daughter, Fatima said. The invaders carried the name everywhere. The beautiful girl spoke of the invaders with pride. The Englishman prodded him, and the boy asked her about the man who cured people's illness. That's the man who knows all the secrets of the world, she said. He communicates with the genies of the desert. The genies were the spirits of good and evil, and the girl pointed to the south, indicating that it was there the strange man lived. Then she filled her vessel with water and left. The Englishman vanished, too, gone to find the alchemist, and the boy sat there by the well for a long time, remembering that one day in Tarif, the lavender the la the had brought to him the perfume of that woman, and realizing he had loved her before he even knew she existed, he knew that his love for her would enable him to discover every treasure in the world. The next day, the boy returned to the well, hoping to see the girl, to his surprise, the Englishman was there, looking out at the desert. Here's a quick picture for those of you looking on YouTube of, you can see Santiago talking to Fatima there, the girl in the white dress. I'll show it real quick for those of you on Instagram as well. Awesome. <clears throat> Continuing here, and we'll go for, I'd like to say about another half hour, give or take, and then we will wrap up the broadcast. And uh, yeah, and then we will come back with a... Part four and my, maybe a part five. We'll see. I want actually, we'll, we'll see. I, I, yeah, okay. We'll finish it in part four. Let me just keep reading about like 15 more pages. <clears throat> One second. Mm -hmm. Thank you again, everyone, for being a part of this. You guys are awesome. Love you. I waited all afternoon and evening. He's <clears throat> English man. I waited all afternoon and evening, he said. He appeared with the first stars of evening. I told him I was seeking, and he asked me if I had ever transformed lead into gold. I told him that was what I had come here to learn. He told me I should try to do so. That's all he said. Go and try. The boy didn't say anything. The poor Englishman had traveled all this way, only to be told that he should repeat what he had already done so many times. So... Then try, he said to the Englishman. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start now. As the Englishman left, Fatima arrived and filled her vessel with water. I came to tell you just one thing, the boy said. I want you to be my wife. I love you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Santiago, calm down. The girl dropped the container and the water spilled. <laughs> I'm, going to wait I'm going to wait here every day. I have crossed the desert in such of a treasure that is somewhere near the pyramids, and for me, the war seemed a curse, but now it's a blessing because it brought me to you. The war is going to end someday, the girl said. The boy looked around him at the date palms. He reminded himself that he had been a shepherd and that he could be a shepherd again. Fatima was more important than his treasure. Pro tip, when you just meet a girl, don't just be like, I want you to be my wife, I love you. Don't don't say that. Play it subtle. <laughs> Wait for the right moment, please. 
the girl said, the, tri the tribesmen have always, are always in search of trouble, of treasure, the girl said, as she had guessed what he was thinking. And the women of the, and the women of the desert are proud of their tribesmen. She refilled her vessel and left. The boy went to the well every day to meet Fatima. He told her about his life as a shepherd, about the king, and about the crystal shop. They became friends, and except for the 15 minutes he spent with her, each day seemed that it would never pass. When he had been to, when he when he when he had been at the oasis for almost a month, the leader of the caravan called a meeting of all the people traveling with him. We don't know when the war will end, so we can't continue our journey, he said. The battles may last for a long time, perhaps even years. There are powerful forces on both sides, and the war is important to both armies. It's not a battle against, of good against evil. It's a war between forces that are fighting for the balance of power, and when that type of battle begins, it lasts longer than others, because a law is on both sides. The people went back to where they lived, and the boy went to meet Fatima that afternoon. <clears throat> he told her about the morning's meeting, the day after we meet. <clears throat> the day after we meet, Fatima said, you told me that you loved me. Then you taught me something of the universal language of the soul of the world. Because of that, I have become a part of you. The boy listened to the sound of her voice and thought it to be more beautiful than the sound of the wind in the date palms. That's a good compliment. Say that to a girl. Be like, your voice is more beautiful than the sound of the wind in the date palms. <laughs> I have been waiting for you. <clears throat> I have been waiting for you here at this oasis for a long time. I've forgotten about my past, about my traditions, and the way in which men of the desert expect me to behave. Ever since I was a child, I have dreamed that the desert would bring me a wonderful present. Now my present has arrived. And it's you. The boy wanted to take her hand, but Fatima's hand held the handles of her jug. You have told me about your dreams, about the old king and your treasures, and you've told me about omens. So now I fear nothing, because it was those omens that brought you to me, and I am a part of your dream, a part of your personal legend, as you call it. That's why I want you to continue toward your goal. Oh, this is still her. That's why I want you to continue towards your goal. If you have to wait until the war is over, then wait. But if you have to go before then, go on in pursuit of your dream. The dunes are changed by the wind, but the desert never changes. That's the way it will be with our love for each other. Maktoub, she said. If I am really a part of your dream, you'll come back one day. The boy was sad as he left her that day. He thought of all the married shepherds he had known. They had a difficult time convincing their wives that they had to go off into, dis into distant fields. Love required them to stay with the people they loved. He told Fatima that at their next meeting. Here's a picture of Santiago looking out, enjoying the sunset underneath the date trees, and got some birds flying in the sky. Again, quickly showing that to those of you on Instagram as well. Continuing along here. <clears throat> Again, if you guys are watching this on any platform, please jump over to YouTube, drop some comments, and I'll be sure to read those before we wrap up the broadcast here. So we're going to keep going for less than another half hour. The desert takes our men from us, and they don't always return, she said. We know that, and we are used to it. 
Those who don't return become a part of the clouds, a part of the animals that hide in the ravines, and of the water that comes from the earth. They become a part of everything. They become the soul of the world. Some do come back, and the other women are happy because they believe that their men may one day return as well. I used to look at those women and envy them their happiness. Now I too will be one of the women who wait. I am a desert woman, and I'm proud of that. I want my husband to wander as free as the wind that shapes the dunes. And if I have to, I will accept the fact that he has become a part of the clouds and the animals and the water of the desert. The boy went to look for the Englishman. He wanted to tell him about Fatima. He was surprised when he saw that the Englishman had built himself a furnace outside of his tent. It was a strange furnace fueled by firewood with a transparent flask heating on top. As the Englishman stared out at the desert, his eyes seemed to brighten, seemed brighter than they had than they had when he was reading his books. This is the first phase. This is the first phase of the job, he said. I have to separate out the sulfur. To do that successfully, I must have no fear of failure. It was my fear of failure that kept me from attempting the masterwork. Now I am beginning what I could have started ten years ago, and I'm happy at least that I didn't wait twenty years. He continued to feed the fire, and the boy stayed on until the desert turned pink in the setting sun. He felt the urge to go out into the desert to see if its silence held the answers to his questions. He wandered for a while, keeping the date palms of the oasis within sight. He listened to the wind and felt the stones beneath his feet. Here and there, he found a shell and realized the desert in remote times had been a sea. He sat on a stone and allowed himself to become hypnotized by the horizon. He tried to deal with the concept of love at, as distinct from possession and couldn't separate them. But Fatima was a woman of the desert and, if anything, could help him to understand it was a desert. As he sat there thinking, he sensed movement above him. Looking up, he saw a pair of hawks flying high in the sky. He watched the hawks as they drifted on the wind. Although their flight appeared to have no pattern, it made a certain kind of sense to the boy. It was just that he couldn't grasp what it meant. He followed the movement of the birds, trying to read something into it. Maybe these birds could explain to him the meaning of love without ownership. He felt sleepy in his heart. He wanted to remain awake, but he also wanted to sleep. I'm learning the language of the world, and everything in the world is beginning to make sense to me. Even the flight of the hawks, he said to himself, and in that mood, he was grateful to be in love. When you are in love, things make even more sense, he thought. Wow, that's deep. Suddenly, one of the hawks made a flashing dive through the sky, attacking the other, and it did so as, as it did so a sudden fleeting image came to the boy an army with its swords at the ready riding into the oasis the vision vanished immediately but it had shaken him he had heard people speak of mirages and had already seen some himself they were desires that because of their intensity materialized over the sands of the desert but he certainly didn't desire that an army invade the oasis he wanted to forget about the vision and return to his meditation. He tried again to concentrate on the pink shades of the desert and its stones, but there was something there in his heart that wouldn't allow him to do so. Always heed, 
always heed the omens, the old king had said. The boy recalled what he had seen in the vision and sensed that it was actually going to occur. He rose and made his way back toward the palm tree. Once again, he perceived that many languages in the things about him. This time, the desert was safe, and it was the oasis that had become dangerous. The camel driver was seated at the base of the palm tree, observing the sunset. He saw the boy appear from the other side of the dunes. An army is coming, said the boy said. I had a vision. The desert fills men's hearts with visions, said the camel driver. But the boy told him that the hawks that he had been watching that told him about the hawks that he had been watching their flight and that he suddenly had felt to have plunged to the soul to have and suddenly felt himself to have plunged to the soul of the world. <clears throat> the camel driver understood what the boy was saying. He knew that at any given that any given thing on the face of the earth could reveal the history of all things. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. He knew that any given any given thing on the face of the earth could reveal the history of all things. So again, that's like a whole microcosm, macrocosm. Like if you study one thing, you can learn about everything, right? If you study the human body, you can learn about the stars. If you study the stars, you can learn about the human body. Micro, macro, baby. Fractals. One could open a book to any page or look at a person's hand. One could turn a card or watch the flight of birds. Whatever the thing observed, one could find a connection with his experience of the moment. Actually, it wasn't that those things in themselves revealed anything at all. It was just that people, looking at what was occurring around them, could find a means of uh, penetration to the soul of the world. <clears throat> the desert was full of men who earned their living based on the ease with which they could penetrate the soul of the world. They were known as seers, and they were held in fear by women and the elderly. Tribesmen were also wary of consulting them because it would be impossible to be effective in battle if one knew that he was fated to die. The tribesmen preferred the taste of battle and the thrill of not knowing what the outcome would be. The future was already written by Allah, and what had been written was also was always for the good of man. So the tribesmen lived only for the present because the present was full of surprises and they had to be aware of many things. Where was the enemy's sword? Where was his house? What kind of blow should one deliver next in order to remain alive? The camel driver was not a fighter, and he had continued with the seers. Many of them had been right about what they had said, about what they had said, while some had been wrong. Then one day, the oldest seer he had ever sought out, and the ones, and the one most to be feared, had asked him why the camel driver was so interested in the future. Well, so I can do things, he had responded, and so I can change those things that I don't want to happen. But then they wouldn't be a part of your future, said the, the seer had said. Well, maybe I just want to know the future so I can prepare myself for what's coming. If good things are coming, they will be a pleasant surprise, said the seer. If bad things are, you know in advance, you will suffer greatly before they even occur. I want to know about the future because I'm a man, the camel driver had said to the seer, and men always live their lives based on the future. The seer was a specialist in the casting of twigs. He threw them on the ground and made the interpretations based on how they fell. That day, he didn't make a cast. He wrapped the twigs in a piece of cloth and put them back in his bag. I make my living forecasting the future of people, he said. 
I know the science of twigs and I know how to use them to penetrate to the place where all is written. That there I can read the past, discover what has already been forgotten, and understand the omens that are here in the present. When people consult me, it's not that I am reading the future, I'm guessing at the future. The future belongs to God, and it is only he who reveals it under extraordinary circumstances. How do I guess at the future? Based on the omens of the present. The secret is here in the present. If you pay attention to the present, you can improve, you can improve upon it. And if you improve on the present, what comes later will be better. Forget about the future and live each day according to the teachings, confident that God loves his children. Each day in itself brings with it an eternity. Wow, that's a really powerful section just in itself. If we were to really just kind of like go back on that. The secret is here in the present. If you pay attention to the present, you can improve upon it. And if you improve on the present, what becomes later will also be better. Forget about the future and live each day according to the teachings. Confident that God loves his children each day in itself brings with it an eternity. So again, it's just like the more you develop your, your awareness with your own like intuitive soul, the more you can understand what omens are coming to you, how to be able to communicate, how to be able to develop this ongoing conversation between yourself and the universe. And again, what we recognize nowadays as again, like synchronicities, like 1111s, all of these omens that, that are commonly popping up for people within this awakening, like that, that is, again, that is a soul speaking to itself. That is God speaking to us, us speaking to our higher selves. So keep working on it. It's a lesson. It's a language that is learned over time, but it is intuitive to our hearts. The camel driver had asked what the circumstances were under which God would allow him to see the future. Only when he himself reveals it, and God only rarely reveals the future. When he does so, it is only for one reason. It's a future that was written so as to be altered. Oh, that's interesting. The only time we actually see the future is so that we can alter it. <laughs> That's an interesting idea. <laughs> God had shown the boy a part of the future. The camel driver thought, why was it that he wanted the boy to serve as his instrument? Go and speak to the tribal chieftains, said the camel driver. Tell them about the armies that are approaching. They'll laugh at me. They are men of the desert, and the men of the desert are used to dealing with omens. Well, then they probably already know. They're not concerned with that right now. They believe that if they have to know about something, Allah wants them to know. Someone will tell them about it. It has happened many times before, but this time, the person is you. The boy thought about Fatima, and he decided that he would go to see the chiefs of the tribe. <clears throat> Alright, I'm just going to keep reading for, for a little bit longer here. How many pages are left in this book here? Alright, <clears throat> The boy approached the guard at the front of the huge white tent at the center of the oasis. I want to see the chieftains. I brought omens from the desert. Without responding, the guard entered the tent, where he remained for some time. When he emerged, it was with a young Arab, dressed in white and gold. The boy told the younger man what he had seen, and the man asked him to wait there. He disappeared into the tent. Night fell and an assortment of fighting men and merchants entered and exited the tent. One by one, the campfires were extinguished, and the oasis fell as quiet as the desert. Only the lights in the great tent remained. During all this time, the boy thought about Fatima, 
and he was still unable to understand his last conversation with her. Finally, after hours of waiting, the guard bade the boy and to bade the boy enter. The boy was astonished by what he saw inside. Never could he have imagined there in the middle of the desert there existed a tent like this one. The ground was covered in the most beautiful carpets he had ever walked upon, and from the top of the structure hung lamps of hand-wrought gold, each with a lit can with a lighted candle. The tribal chieftains were seated at the back of the tent in a semicircle resting upon richly embroidered silk cushions. Servants came and went with silver trays laden with spices and teas. Other servants maintained the fires in the hookahs. The atmosphere was suffused with the sweet scent of smoke. There were eight chieftains, but the boy could see immediately which of them was the most important, an Arab dressed in white and gold seated at the center of the semicircle. At his side was the young Arab the boy had spoken with earlier. "'Who is this stranger who speaks of omens?' asked one of the chieftains, eyeing the boy. "'It is I,' the boy answered, and he told what he had seen." Why would the desert reveal such a thing to a stranger when it knows we have been here for generations, said another of the chieftains. Because my eyes are not yet accustomed to the desert, the boy said, I can see things that eyes habituated to the desert might not see. And also because I know about the soul of the world, he thought to himself. The oasis, <clears throat> the oasis is a neutral ground. No one attacks an oasis said a third chieftain. I can only tell you what I saw. If you don't want to believe me, you don't have to do anything about it. The men fell into animated discussion. They spoke in an Arabic dialect that the boy didn't understand, but when he made went but he but made but when he made to leave, the guard told him to stay. The boy became fearful. The omens told him something was wrong. He regretted having spoken to the camel driver about what he had seen in the desert. Suddenly, the elder at the center smiled almost unperceptibly, and the boy felt better. The man hadn't participated in the discussion, and in fact hadn't said a word up to that point, but the boy was already used to the language of the universe, and he could feel the vibrations of peace throughout the tent. Now his intuition was that he had been right in coming. The discussion ended. The chieftains were silent for a few moments as they listened to what the old man was saying. They turned to the boy. This time, his expression was cold and distant. Two thousand years ago, in a distant land, a man who believed in dreams was thrown into a dungeon, then sold as a slave, the old man said, now in the dialect the boy understood. Our merchants bought that man and brought him to Egypt. All of us know that whoever believes in dreams also knows how to interpret them. And here's another quick picture that you can see. This is a picture of Santiago, and you can see him standing on the carpets. Got some cool, like, kind of geometrical patterns on those carpets, and Santiago wearing his white Arab dress. <clears throat> awesome. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in on this. Uh, again, we'll keep going for a little bit longer. Please feel free to leave your comments and I will read those on air based on just like your own thoughts and, and, and excitement behind the story that we are sharing here together. Part three of The Alchemist. Go back and listen to part one and two if you happen to be jumping in on this live for some crazy reason. <laughs> All right. <clears throat>
The elder continued, when the pharaoh dreamed of cows, they were thin and cows. They were there were thin cows that were fat. This man I'm speaking of rescued Egypt from famine. His name was Joseph. He too was a stranger in a strange land, like you, and he was probably about your age. He paused, and his eyes were still unfriendly. We always observe the tradition. The tradition saved Egypt from famine in those days and made the Egyptians the wealthiest of people. The tradition teaches men how to cross the desert and how their children should marry. The tradition says that an oasis is neutral territory because both sides have oasis, and so both are vulnerable. No one said a word as the old man continued, but the tradition also says that we should believe the messages of the desert. Everything we know was taught to us by the desert. The old man gave a signal, and everyone stood. The meeting was over, the hookahs were extinguished, and the guards stood at attention. The boy made ready to leave, and the old man spoke again. Tomorrow, we are going to break the agreement that says that no one at this oasis may carry arms. Throughout the entire day, we will be on the lookout for our enemies. When the sun sets, the men will once again surrender their arms for me to me. For every ten dead men among our enemies, you will receive a piece of gold. <clears throat> but arms cannot be drawn unless they also go into battle. Arm, arms are also capricious in the desert, and if they are not used the next time, they might not function. If at least one of them hasn't been used by the end of the day tomorrow, one will be used on you. When the boy left the tent, the oasis was illuminated only by the light of the full moon. He was 20 minutes from his tent and began to make his way there. He was alarmed by what had happened. He had succeeded in reaching through to the soul of the world, and now the price for having done so might be his life. It was a frightening bet, but he had been, but he had been making risky bets ever since the day that he had sold his sheep to pursue his personal legend. And, as the camel driver had said, to die tomorrow was no worse than dying any other day. Every day was there to be lived or to be or to mark one's departure from this world. Everything depended on one word, Maktub, and so it is. Walking along in the silence, he had no regrets. If he died tomorrow, he would it, it would be because God was not willing to change the future. He would at least have died after having crossed the strait after having worked in a crystal shop, and after having known the silence of the desert in Fatima's eyes. He had lived every one of his days intensely since he had left home so long ago. If he died tomorrow, he would already have seen more than other shepherds, and he was proud of that. Suddenly, he heard a thundering sound, and he was thrown to the ground by the wind such as he had never known. The area was swirling in dust, so intense that it hid the moon from view. Before him was an enormous white horse rearing over him with a frightening scream. Horse sound effect. When the blinding dust had settled a bit, the boy trembled at what he saw. Astride the animal was a horseman dressed completely in, in black. With a falcon perched on his left shoulder, he wore a turban and his entire face, except for his eyes, was covered by a black Cherkif. He appeared to be a messenger from the desert, but his presence was much more powerful than that of a mere messenger. 
the strange horseman drew an enormous curved sword from a scarab mounted on its saddle. The steel of its blade glittered in the light of the moon. <clears throat> Who dares read the meaning of the flight of the hawks? He demanded so loudly that his words seemed to echo through the 50,000 palm trees in El Fayum. It is I who dare to do so, said the boy. He was reminded of the image of Santiago Matamoros mounted on his white horse with the infidels beneath his hooves. The man looked exactly the same, except that now the role was reversed. It is I who dare to do so, he repeated, and he lowered his head to receive a blow from the sword. Many lives will be saved because I was able to... <clears throat> Oh, I guess I'll still him. Many lives will be saved because I was able to see through the soul of the world. The sword didn't fall. Instead, the stranger lowered it slowly until the point that it touched the boy's forehead. It drew a droplet of blood. The horseman was completely immobile, as was the boy. It didn't even occur to the boy to flee. In his heart, he felt a strange sense of joy. He was about to die in the pursuit of his personal legend. And for Fatima, the omens had been true, after all. Here he was, face to face with his enemy. But there was no need to be concerned about dying. The soul of the world awaited him, and he would soon be a part of it. And tomorrow his enemy would be a part of that soul. The stranger continued to hold the sword to the boy's forehead. Why did you read the flight of the birds? I read only what birds wanted to tell me. They say they wanted to save the oasis. Tomorrow all of you will die because there are more men at the oasis than you have. The sword remained where it was. Who are you to change what Allah has willed? Allah creates the armies, and he also creates the hawks. Allah taught me the language of birds. Everything has been written by the same hand, the boy said, remembering the camel driver's words. The stranger withdrew the sword from the boy's forehead, and the boy felt immensely, re re immensely relieved, but he couldn't flee. Be careful with your progno prog prognostations, said the stranger. <clears throat> when something is written, there is no way to change it. All I saw was an, or was an army, said the boy. I didn't see the outcome of the battle. The stranger seemed satisfied with that answer, but he kept the sword in his hand. What is a stranger? What is a stranger doing in a strange land? Oh, that's the other. What is a stranger doing in a strange land? I am following my personal legend. It's not something you would understand. The stranger placed his sword in his scarab, and the boy relaxed. I had to test your courage, the stranger said. Courage is a quality most essential to understanding the language of the world. The boy was surprised. The stranger was speaking of things very few people knew about. You must not let up. Even after having come so far, he continued, you must love the desert, but never trust it completely, because the desert tests all men. It challenges every step and kills those who become distracted. What he said reminded the boy of the old king. If the warriors come here and your head is still on your shoulder at sunset, come and find me, said the stranger. The same hand that had, brandished, that had brandished the sword now held a whip. The horse reared again, raising a cloud of dust. Where do you live? shouted the boy as the horseman rode away. The hand with the whip pointed towards the south. The boy had met the alchemist. Dun, dun, dun. 
And I think that's a great place to be able to leave off as we get ready to be able to continue in part four of The Alchemist, which will be the concluding live broadcast. And there's still about eh, like 60 pages. So as we leave off, Santiago has finally met the alchemist and there is the the prospect of a potential battle on the horizon so what will happen will Santiago get out safe will he learn the secrets of the universe from the alchemist will he make it to the pyramids will he win the girl of his dreams find out next time on the alchemist part four a fable about following your dreams same shifty channel same shifty I don't know, just tune in and pay attention. Eventually it'll be posted or maybe it's already up at some point by the time you tune into this. So anyways, thank you again, everyone, so much for being here, for being a part of this live recorded broadcast for The Alchemist on behalf of ParadigmShiftCentral.com. Of course, if you enjoyed this broadcast, please feel free to go check out more inspirational conscious media that we got up at ParadigmShiftCentral.com, a real world interactive game to be able to help shift consciousness. And we're doing that right here by enjoying these stories, by seeing ourselves in them by being able to gain inspiration and applying it to the way that we show up within our personal legends within our journeys of discovering and learning more about the language of the world and the language of the soul so also a huge shout out and thank you to those of you who share this broadcast who like it on youtube or whatever platform you're on who leave your comments your comments are always greatly appreciated i love being able to read them and responding to them and of course you are highly invited and encouraged to be able to check out the patreon at patreon.com forward slash brendan Colton. links are in the info on the youtube video to be able to add your support with the monthly micro donation which allows us to continue to make more of these broadcasts for the community and supports myself as a director for the project something that i do as my full-time devotion and i am super grateful i love being able to do this again like this is this is this the idea of doing this book if there's other books that you guys want me to read on air over the coming months, absolutely. I'd love to do it. Uh, one of the ones that people are already asking about, it's like possibly the Celestine Prophecy. So we'll see. Uh, another one on my radar is possibly The Little Prince. It would be a short one, but that would also be one I would love to be able to read and share some commentary about. So thank you again, everyone. Check out more, as I said, at Paradigm Shift Central. Support on Patreon. When you do, you get your 25% discount code for your items at the Quest Item Shop, which, again, are tools for evoking synchronicity. Pew, 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 pew. And you get your Light Guardian crystals and all that good stuff. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Mystic Spider-Man and also Paradigm Shift Central on Instagram. And, yeah, share this episode with your friends. And hopefully you've listened to part one and two and stay tuned for part four. And it will be broadcasted uh, at the coming weeks relative to the time that this broadcast is initially put up. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So with that said, we are going to wrap up this broadcast and sending you all of my best wishes as we continue to go out there on our own personal legends, on our own journeys of personal alchemy. And yeah, it is always and always a pleasure to be able to be here together with you. So as I just look for the button here to be able to find, where's my, <laughs> sorry, just trying to find the right button to be able to end the broadcast. Here we go. 
Perfect. There we go. All right. <laughs> Initiating outro music. Thank you so much. This has been Brendan, aka Mystic Spider-Man, aka Skull Babylon, aka Will Shield. You have been watching another live broadcast on behalf of Paradigm to Central. Thank you to everyone so much. Share your gratitude in the comments down below. Smash that like button. And uh, yeah, be sure to go order a copy of The Alchemist if you would like to add this to your library and share it with your friends. So until next time, keep it shifty and we will see you in the future. Much love, peace, and always. Special bonus thank you to Danny Leonardo, whose music is featured at the beginning and end of this broadcast. Be sure to check out more of Danny's content through the links in the YouTube info below. Much love and thank you, Danny.